Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Johnny King with another episode of The Johnny King Show. I am so humbled and grateful to have an amazing guest with us today, Stefanos Safandos. I'm sure I butchered that, but uh, thank you, brother, for being here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you too. You didn't butcher that, and your name sounds like you're out of the 50s or the 60s, and I fucking love that. It's straight out of the Grease movie. Your, Johnny it's King. Your, it's Johnny King. So your, good. your wife is the one who said, hold on, you you should be figuring out, you know, how to work with men and help them figure out how to be a king. And your last name's really King. I was like, yeah, she's like, <laughs> the branding's done. I was like, there oh, it is. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for those of you that, uh, that don't know, I met, uh, his wife, Christine Hasler, who <clears throat> has uh, a bunch of books out and I met her at one of my masterminds and she actually was the final push that I needed to get into the work that I'm doing now and why I have my podcast and why I now have her husband on the, the show. But that's how I found out about Steph and his work that he's doing. And it's phenomenal. So if you haven't yet started following him, please do so on, on Instagram primarily or YouTube or all yeah, the social. Yeah. YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Those three main, main. All of them. All yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. And I love yeah. TikTok. TikTok's fun, but apparently it's going to get banned soon. So Oh man. No more TikTok for anyone. Not yeah, in the exactly. US anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what I love about uh, Steph though, is that he really dives into just cultivating epic relationships, intimacy, love from all the things I've seen on, on the social medias and, and you are living it. You know, you attracted your queen, you're living your king, if you will, lifestyle. And what I think is interesting and why I want to jump into this is so many guys, we talk, we hide behind our work, our fitness, our hobbies, but we very rarely get into the dynamics of our relationships because I think a lot of guys don't know how to win there. They don't know how to create that soft place to land for their partner, their significant other. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, but then also how you got into and what's your passion or what drives your passion for relationships in general. Yeah, so... My background in terms of where I was born, I was born in Australia. I grew up, though, in Greece and Australia. My father's Greek, mother's Italian. Mm. Um, in terms of the what I experienced as a kid, it wasn't super pleasant. So I grew up in a very volatile environment, violence, physical abuse, emotional abuse, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown a lot of hiding from the world, you know, and the, you know, our formative years and the experiences that we have during our developmental years as our brains are forming and developing, but also as we're navigating our way through the world and understanding who's who in our environment, you know, who, who has a hierarchy, who's important, who do we go to for love and affection and care? These are basic human needs. Who do we get seen by? Who do we get appreciated and respected by? It was very confusing for me to grow up a, pretty confused as a kid, which, which leaked out into how I behaved and how I showed up as a, as a teenager and as an adult, as a young adult. And so for me, we all have vices, right? 
we all have uh, virtues, so to speak. So we all have go-to strategies that help us feel better about ourselves. And most of the time, those go-to strategies are vested and grounded in fear and protectiveness. And as a kid or as children, they can be super useful. So for example, you know, I, I grew up in this very volatile environment. And so I got really good at hiding. I got really good at physically hiding myself, but also emotionally hiding myself. So I'd, I learned to wear masks so that whenever I was attacked or abused or rejected or um, humiliated, I, um, I knew how to protect myself. And the mask that I wore made me not feel as bad as if it was my, you know, quote unquote, real self being attacked. So I learned to hide. I learned to move in the shadows. I learned to wear masks. I learned to pretend a great deal. And so as an adult, that tactic, it worked as an adult, but it really isolated me, pushed people away, got me being very manipulative and sneaky. I was unfaithful in my relationships. I would tell lies. I wouldn't tell the truth. I, I valued efficiency and effectiveness, like um, efficacy over telling the truth. In other words, if I was in a relationship with a woman and you know, I was being selfish in that relationship and not only really spending time with her when it suited me, I would just lie about what I was doing and made it sound like something really important so she wouldn't get so angry at me or she wouldn't get so upset at me. And if she did get upset or if she did try to get conflict, I would get really angry and aggressive. I would get short-tempered, I would get agitated and I would project on her and blame her. And these are the patterns and behaviours that I witnessed in my family dynamic between my mother and my father. And so unless we make a move to shift these protective strategies, guess what? We just don't. And that was me for a very long time, man. And so the, the, long, the, the short story of it is, of a very longer story, is that I was in a relationship a few years ago, a number of years ago with a woman and um, that unraveled itself. She found out I was being unfaithful and that was the first time that I was discovered. You know, I was really unfaithful in basically every single one of my relationships um, up until that point. Um, including that one, and it was pretty pretty intense. We're talking prostitution, we're talking unfaithfulness, womanising, just really hyper selfish. What's in it for me? Behaviour, which which that's a first stage relating type of approach to doing life and doing life with other people. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I really lost myself in that. But what, what happened was in that in those moments, I witnessed this pain that I'd caused this person and my actions had caused this person and this immense shame had just flooded me. It just came to me and all these memories from my past started coming to me as well from my childhood that I'd been repressing because they were so painful to look at. And that was the stuff I wasn't looking at. I wasn't, I was avoiding that stuff and numbing it with sex and alcohol and, and working and workaholism as well, you know, trying to achieve and get status and increase my titles and my wealth in the world. And I was just ignoring all this stuff, but nothing was ever enough. It never felt like it was enough. And I had that grass is always greener. You know, I could make 50K in a month, but it just wasn't enough. I could make 100K in a month. It just wasn't enough. And then for a few months, I'd be making nothing. I was this burn build mentality and approach because I wasn't grounded and calm and centered in my own life. Mm-hmm. And so when, when this unraveled itself, I, I noticed um, so much came to me and I just thought to myself, I just don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live in this pain. And so what would it look like being different? 
and so I started to explore that. And because I have a fairly extreme personality, I gave up my businesses. I, I gave up a lot of who I thought I was, the way, the way I identified with the world, the work that I was doing. You know, I was working at that time. I was working in listing companies on the ASX in the Australian Stock Exchange. And so I was, I was in an industry that was pretty cutthroat. And I just, I stopped that. I just, and it took me a few months to stop it, but I knew immediately, I just don't want to be this anymore. And I kept having my, my coaching practice and my teaching practice as a side thing. And I was very well qualified. I'd been qualified in psychology, behavioral science, social psychology, but it was always a side thing because I thought, oh, it's not going to make me as much money as I wanted. And I've got to chase the money and, you know, I've got to look good and I've got to look a particular way. And it just, I started unraveling all of that, man. I went, I went hours, I spent hours. I went, I was in massive debt. I went into more debt. Um, and the debt that I went into was paying for psychologists and coaches and counselors and shamans and energy healers and all of that. Like I really went in and I spent a lot of time by myself as well, getting to know me and getting to know, reacquaint myself with all these painful, fearful parts of who I was um, and what I was avoiding. And so that's the, that's the short of it in terms of my background. And from there came the, the, the continued exploration, the, the, you know, playing with suicide, the, the very dark places that I went to um, as a human being, as a man, um, the questioning of my masculinity, I, I started to become very clear on what my path was, who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be that person and what it meant for the impact I could have on my life but also the lives of others and the person that I wanted to be moving forward. Um, and so that was really, that just became very clear to me. I just started walking that path. Um, there was fear there but there was more courage than fear and there was more, I just can't go back to that life. I just don't want to. I'd rather hurt someone and be truthful than hurt someone with dishonesty um, and not be responsible for their hurt. So I had to unra- I had to unpack a lot of stuff, man. Codependence, enmeshment, um, deep attachment to the father wound, like wanting to seek that, that unconscious validation and approval. I mean, there was just a lot of shit that I, that I, went, that I chose to then go through and process to become the person I am today, who's continuing to grow, by the way. Like, I'm not in any way perfect. There's, you know, I fuck up all the time. Um, however, the level of ownership that I have now compared to then is, is vastly different. It's huge. It's, we have a lot of different commonalities with your story, which is pretty cool. I, I know it took me a long time until my mid mid to late thirties to figure out what my wound was from my childhood, mm. from my parents' relationship. What What was... Uh, if you can even boil it down to one wound, what was like your, your massive wound that you were masking and uh, avoiding and running away from, from your childhood? Uh, you know, if it was, if it was really one, it was originally was the, the suppressed memories and unfelt feelings of the of the whole of my childhood with reference to the relationship to my parents, which impacted the relationship to myself. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hiding that. But, you know, I went through extremes where I really hid a lot and became retracted from the world as a young kid. But then as a teenager with hormones and just having enough of being repressed by my father and just people in my environment, I lashed out. I be, you know, I was bullied a lot. I became a bully. I became very aggressive, became very fucking angry. I was fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. It was, and I hated it. I didn't want to do that. But I felt it was the only way to get some sense of power back. And so I was either getting my power through being in the shadows and hiding and having people feel sorry for me and manipulating that situation, being the victim, 
or I was having power and control through overt aggression and oppression, which was what, what had been done to me. Mm-hmm. So I had to unpack a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I think the, a lot of guys, a lot of guys I know would be, will be listening to this and resonating and shaking their head. Yes. Like, like they are only allowed to, to express anger. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise don't express anything else, you know? Yeah. Um, and they get to the point where it just boils over and they pop, you know, yeah. uh, because they, they suppress it so much. What are some healthy ways that you've found to, to just deal with that level of mm. anger that's inside, you know? Yeah, well, it helps. It helps if men understand. So you've touched on something that's really important with respect to culture, familial values, society, being at a, an inflection point in history where it's, it's not quite, quite natural or approved of men to be aggressive, but not too aggressive. You know, uh, it's okay for you to be angry. In fact, that's pretty much the only manly emotion or expression to feel, emotive expression to feel, but don't do it too much. Don't do it too often and don't do it in this way. And so we're very narrow in what's unconsciously unspoken, um, uh, in an unspoken way, what's acceptable for our emotional expression. And what happens is, and there's an evolutionary reason for this as well. So when we look at men being largely responsible for you know, extending the perimeter, keeping the, the tribe safe, doing very big things in the environment, like killing animals, protecting almost because we were bigger, more physical beings. Our hormonal profiling was different. We didn't really have space to, to be emotional. We had to be very reactive. We had to be in that sympathetic nervous system response. And so being in fear or being jealous or being or grieving, it wasn't something that we really had a capacity to feel often. And so there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a transition that's come from how we've evolved to where we are today, couple that with cultural values that layer on top of that, you know, like as if we don't have a limbic system and we don't have these emotion, emotive, um, emotional regulatory systems within us, but we do. Right? And so we'll use anger as a secondary emotion to often mask a primary emotion, again, sadness, grief, fear, um, jealousy, pain, resentment, whatever it may be. So we use anger as a way to mask it and we're never getting to the core of it. So understanding that and knowing that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time we're angry because we're masking something that we're, we're avoiding and feeling because we've been, we think unconsciously or consciously that it's not healthy to feel that or it's not manly to feel that or we just don't fucking know how to feel it. Now, I'm not saying be leaky and, and be this emotional being and, and don't have mastery over your internal faculties. Not at all. You've got to, you've got to, spend, you've got to be self-reliant. It's a, it, for me, it's a key principle of healthy masculinity, self-reliance. Um, you've got to be able to spend time in solitude and understand your emotions and unpack those to do that with yourself and then do that with other men. And so healthy, healthy ways to start unpacking those heavy, dense emotions is doing that with other men, being in men's groups, whether it's virtual or in person, ideally in person, mm-hmm. getting out to nature, having healthy coping strategies, you know, ground in nature, exercise, move your body, um, process your emotions, go hit a boxing bag, go have an anger release. If you're fucking angry, don't project it and take it out on someone else, although they may have done something to, I don't know, that's unhealthy, projecting and, 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 and smashing it onto them Long term, it's not sustainable if you keep doing that. And it's not healthy. You can just keep burning relationships. So there's ways to communicate that can heal those wounds, right? And so do your own inner processing. And there are some of the things that we can do. You know, journal, reflective writing. You know, some of the the greatest fucking men of our time, the greatest warriors, the greatest leaders, the greatest kings have, I mean, look at Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. 
check out his book on meditation. You know, it's called Meditations. I mean, there's, as one example, the greatest leaders, kings, warriors have had a reflective praxis, whether it's a few minutes at the end of the day reflecting on who have I been? Could I have been better? Did I get too angry? Was I really angry? Was it something out? Just reflecting on their lives and that, that few minutes every day. And the written word, man, the written word is, it's, an, it's a technology that has advanced civilization. It's advanced us as, as, as men and women and just people. And so engaging in that process can be deeply healing for us because the brain integration, the vertical and the left and right hemispherical brain integration that takes place and the way that we see ourselves and begin to understand ourselves, when we write and reflect and read our writing back to ourselves, we see it from a new perspective and that perspective changes the way we behave. And so instead of behaving in, with animosity in, in a way that's just fucking dense and pushing people away and isolating, we can begin to change and shift that behavior. And we then take ownership and responsibility, another key tenant for me of healthy masculinity, of our own actions, thoughts, and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that's where we start to shift the internal paradigm and the way that we relate to other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I often talk about, and I've done it on different podcast episodes. It's just that whole idea of, you know, living above the line or below the line. Living above the line is just taking responsibility for your shit, mm. you know? Mm. And as a man, that's just what you got to do. And you, mm. you can't evolve and really look at something until you take responsibility for it. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you know, passing the buck. And quite frankly, you, you know, it's just, I feel like a, a lot of stuff that, I've been doing at least in my life and maybe you could speak for your own is, you know, it's just my father and my grandfather and his father, you know, there's so much substance abuse or physical abuse, emotional abuse, because none of them necessarily took the time or had the tools that we now have uh, to really heal that. And so thus it just got passed generationally, that generational shame or that generational toxicity pass from one generation to the next and i feel like that's the the opportunity that we have and if we don't as men then all we do is knowingly kind of just pass it to the next we punt it down the field to the next generation you know yeah we certainly do and we don't there's no generational healing and that's that was another commitment that i made to myself was i was determined to break those generational patterns from my father my grandfather in different ways you know my maternal grandfather very very close highly moral ethical man beautiful human being very open heart but also very meek, you know, like very, very passive, defeated in his life. You know, and this is a man that had been a fucking war twice. Well, not twice, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, technically twice. But you know, he was a he was a, a detainee. He was he was he was a prisoner of war in World War Two. Wow. You know, wow. we were very close. But seeing him sort of be so submissive, he'd almost given up in his life in different ways. And it was, and again, that was confusing too because I witnessed him giving up in so many ways. Yet, if I needed something from him, boom, he'd be there. That's my grandfather. So that was confusing as well. And then, just seeing the hyper aggression that my my father had, poof, that was intense, man. Yeah. So intense. Just yeah. he never happy, never satisfied. Like, and I, I can see where I got that for as an adult as well. Always looking for something else. Um, very moody, very difficult to be around. Um, projecting, very aggressive. These were generational wounds, man. My father was abused when he was a child. Um, these, are, these are deep wounds that I, I felt it. with that level of awareness comes responsibility. You know? What's his name? Uncle Spider-Man's uncle. I can't remember what his name is, but Uncle something. <laughs> uncle John, I don't know what his name is. But yeah. his, his, his uncle said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And yeah. same with awareness. With awareness comes responsibility. So I just, I thought, you know, I just don't want to be, I don't want to pass this on to my children or, or to any other human being that I come into contact with. So 
it's time that I start shifting shit. That's so cool. I love it. That's inspiring. And I feel it, what makes me think of um, when you talk about your grandfather is just that uh, going to the zoo when I was younger and, and mm. walking by the, the lion exhibit, you know, and just seeing that lion, which looked, you know, massive and yet so sad. And so just kind so of docile, huh? so docile, so yeah. not a lion, you know, cause it's yeah. in this tiny little cage. And that's just how yeah. I felt for, for a lot of my life until I finally had my emotional threshold moment as well. I was like, Oh, this, this shit's got to change. Otherwise this is, this is only going to get worse. So my, my thought also goes to when you talk about different masks, um, one that I feel like a lot of men hide behind and myself too, at times has been just like a false sense of ego. Yeah, um, false bravado. I had a lot of that, man. Right. A lot of that. Yeah. How, massive insecurities and yeah. just pretending that everything's okay. How do you go about dissolving that ego uh, or and is, and is, is there such thing as a healthy amount of ego? You hear that before and yeah. like, where do you find that balance? So, so I did a video on this the other day. It's a really interesting question, man. Really interesting question. So I hear a lot of spiritual teachers speak about dissolving the ego mm-hmm. and I agree. And there's an and there though. You don't just dissolve your ego. If you dissolve your ego without healing those wounded parts of yourself. It's a recipe for fucking disaster. Right. Dissolving your ego is a very advanced practice. And there's, there's so many things and processes that prelude that. And so the ego is the way we identify with the world. And part of the function of the ego is to protect us. So we develop these coping strategies, psycho-emotional protective coping strategies as we grow up. And they're vested in the ego. They're vested in how we relate to the world, how we see ourselves, how we think others see us. When you just dissolve the ego like it happens in most plant medicine journeys, right? What happens? People freak the fuck out mm-hmm. because it's so intense so quickly. So before dissolving the ego, we have to integrate the wounded and fractured parts of ourselves. And so how do we do that? Well, in short, we've got to feel the feelings that were unfelt at the point of infliction. So that time that you were spanked really hard when you were five years old and told you were worthless and you had to be quiet because your dad or your mum said, if you don't shut your fucking mouth, I'm going to give you something to cry about. The time that you were sexually abused and you had that mouth and the mouth was over, your hat, someone's hand was over your mouth. They said to you, don't ever say this again. Don't ever speak about this again. And you developed the habit of keeping your mouth quiet and not yeah. actually expressing the pain that you felt when you were abused. That shit's got to be felt in a safe, loving way. It's got to release from your nervous system. That's trauma response that's trapped there at a cellular level. It's got to release from your mind. It's got to release from the emotional body. And it's got to release from the belief systems. If you dissolve your ego, part of all those experiences are attached to the ego. Man, you dissolve the ego, you dissolve that. When it's unhealed, those, it's a recipe. It's an explosion man. And so how do we heal that? We have to feel those feelings in a methodical, safe, slow, generally slow. We don't flood. So when we're dealing with general anxiety disorder, as an example, one of the techniques we can use is flooding. And so if you have a fear of heights, let's just say you can flood, you can have an experience of flooding where you just sort of, let's go jump in the deep end. In other words, instead of standing on a, a three foot box or a one foot box, you would stand on a 50 foot box and you would look down and that's flooding. And, that, and, and then you go through a particular process to help you feel safe and you're training your nervous system and your amygdala to react very differently. Mm. With this type of work, I don't always recommend flooding. For some people it works, but otherwise pendulation titration really slow, just methodical exposure is even, even better for most people. Although in saying that, the research says flooding is actually more effective 
but it depends for what exactly, right? It depends right. on the individual. Right. So to answer your question directly, we've got to feel those feelings, man, before we dissolve the ego. Mm. And then we can say, okay, now I'm, I feel more whole. I'm not fractured and fragmented in my mind. I'm not all over the place. Mm. Now I feel more grounded. I can dissolve this part of me that I was so attached to with my identity that I thought I had to be this person. Now I get to shift that. And as I shift that, I dissolve that part of me and I replace it with a new version of me, mm. but I'm healthier to do so. So I'm not replacing an old unhealthy version with a new unhealthy version. I'm replacing the old unhealthy version with a new healthier version. Mm. And that's how we begin that process. Again, we do that with support and guidance. We know that we're not alone. We're human relational beings. Mm. You have a relationship with your mic, with the chair, with your house that you're sitting in. We're relational beings. We do that in support and we do that on our own in solitude with relationship to ourselves. And we balance that combination. We develop confidence from doing things on our own in solitude, which builds more resilience, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual toughness and resilience, our ability to get through a difficult space and point in our life. And the resilience piece is the piece to the toughness is that the resilience piece is the ability to recover from a difficult mm -hmm. position in our lives. And then we begin to dissolve that quote unquote ego. It, it, yesterday, this is so perfect because I was hiking with a buddy up in the mountains and we were talking about, you know, you've got your fears and your insecurity, uh, but then you also have energy that you could be putting towards, you know, taking action and, and maybe growing that self-confidence, that self-worth, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And he was asking me, well, which as a man, I feel like, and I've heard this a lot, which do I put my energy towards? Because it's like the fear is kind of based in the wound and the pain um, and the things that need to be healed versus guys like to just, well, what if I just keep blasting through and keep moving forward? I'm like, ah, it's going to keep lingering. It's going to keep eating away at you. Even if you keep running, it's going to keep chasing after you, you know? Uh, so how do you go about helping men and women for that matter, just achieve a sense of, radical self-worth and self-confidence and, and self-love. It's, we hear a lot about that, but how do you actually apply it and make it happen? There's a little bit of a difference generally, generally speaking for men and women, for women, it's, it's, it's helping. There's more of a focus on helping them feel safe in their bodies mm. and in their environment. This is generally speaking it's for men as well. We need to feel safe Sure. for men. It's more about not tying their self-worth to external validation, such as status, titles, how much wealth they have, what car they drive, etc., um, And also with men particularly, it's helping them achieve and create micro challenges in their day, whether it's getting up at a certain time, making their bed, um, hitting a target within their business. That's, that's very achievable. Um, uh, looking at a pain point around maybe relationships. So maybe they struggle to be honest and say, well, what's one, what's one honest thing that you can do today? May not be in relationship, but it may just be with your own self. It could be, how, can you be honest with yourself? Can you um, be honest with a client? What does it look like exactly? You know, practice telling the truth. So these micro challenges, and as you tick them off every day, you start to work that muscle, right? And you become more confident in yourself and what you're able to achieve. And that confidence, it builds again that resilience and toughness and that willingness to then go into the deeper, more painful aspects of self, 
without going in there cold, without flooding, you know, the, the psychological term is flooding or without jumping in the deep end or going into the dragon's lair without having any training, you know? Right, right. So those micro challenges really help. But again, you know, if I'm helping people feel safe, it really depends on their trauma wounding and depends on where they're at and what they're also wanting. So feeling safe, feeling seen, feeling witnessed, acknowledged, accepted, respected. These are big things for men and women as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that sense of safety is really, really important. So in creating an environment that's safe, that routine helps with that. Mm -hmm. Having a, a solid, simple routine helps with that. Mm -hmm. Having a, a fitness regime, because again, that releases neurochemically, that releases um, hormones and chemicals through your body that help you generally feel better, such as dopamine, as an example. So simple things like that can make a big difference when you, when you structure them, have routine, and are really committed to feeling better. Because when we feel better, we're more likely to say, okay, let me look at that painful thing in the past. Because I feel like, yeah, I can do that. I feel pretty good about myself. I feel pretty good in life right now. So that can help. And so it's, it's simultaneous. You know, we're looking at, if we look at social change, for example, you know, there's people that in the camps of, well, if the government doesn't change, then nothing's going to change. And there's people that, well, if the people don't uprise, nothing's going to change. Well, the reality is both need to happen. You need a grassroots movement for transformation on a societal level, and you need a, what's called a top-down approach. Mm -hmm. It's the same with transformation within the individual. We want to be able to simultaneously focus on who are we now, what are we attempting to create whilst also clearing up the clutter of the past? And we do that in a balanced way. Sometimes we're going to spend more time, not on the memories of the past, but clearing up the unfelt stuff of the, un, of the past. Sometimes we're going to spend more time ideating and creating our future version of self. But there is a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's what makes me think of just the, the struggles that guys run, run up against and, how that feels so overwhelming to think about going there if they keep themselves in isolation. And you mentioned it earlier, like the power of brotherhood going through life, like doing men's work. I've just been getting into it myself uh, in terms of my men's groups here in Denver and all that sort of thing. But if I look at the last 10 years of the work that I've done, it's always been in, you know, large groups, you know, or at least 30, 40 people where I felt totally safe uh, and you have professional instructors or I've had coaches and stuff like that, guys like you to help me go through. So I think it just goes to, to say, if you're listening to this and this is resonating, this is not something that I feel like it would just be overwhelming to think about. You could take it on, on by yourself. You need to, to hire someone like Steph, someone else that you trust that can create, that knows kind of how to facilitate taking you through this journey. Right. Otherwise it's scary by yourself. Yeah. Scary, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's that goes to show why so many guys are committing suicide. You know? Yeah, well, it's too scary. See, there's nothing wrong with it being scary, but when it's too scary, we'll do a couple of things, but we'll just mainly do one thing. We'll avoid it, and how we avoid it depends on the individual. Sometimes it's suicide, sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's it's workaholism, drugs, excessive TV binging, uh, sex. You know, whatever it may be, it's in excess, and it's in it's all about numbing and avoiding. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, switching gears a little bit, I took your, your quiz off of your Instagram profile, which if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked it out, it's pretty fascinating. It's really more about love blocks. Would mm. you say that in terms of- Yeah, yeah, fear, core fears, core, core wounds. Fears. Yeah, okay. fears, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my thought was, having done it, are there, because I could only see a certain amount of 
blocks of my own love mm. blocks. Are there a certain amount of them that, I mean, I'm sure there are a certain amount of them, but are yeah. there specific ones that everything falls into five, let's say, or is there 20 or what? Explain yeah. a little more about the love blocks. Yeah, yeah, sure, concept. sure. So the, the fears that I chose there to have were five core fears, mm. um, specific to relationships. Are there more? Yeah, potentially. I mean, ultimately, man, there's not, you know, we can dilute pretty much, not everything, but <laughs> so much of who we are in the world to core needs and those core needs they will correlate with core fears but not exclusively so the core needs that we have as human beings are to be seen to be heard to be understood accepted appreciated and um respected particularly those last three for men is really important yep yeah and so they're, they're our core needs and when those needs aren't met we develop fears around that fears around are we ever going to get it and depending on our individual circumstances, those fears will present in a, in a specific way. So for example, you know, if you're a kid and both your parents died and you're at maybe at the age of four or five or six or something, and both your parents died in a car accident, people can develop like a very severe sense of loss, like a fear of loss. And so how then they then behave is to avoid loss again in their life. So they can become very clingy and needy in their personality. They can become excessively overbearing because they don't want to lose what they have. They can become misers. They can become hoarders even because they don't want to lose what they have because the pain of loss is so fucking deep, runs so deep. That's an example. So that's one of the fears that the, the assessment comes with and it helps you identify, do you have a fear of loss? Because these are common fears, fear of loss, rejection, abandonment, as three examples that are in the um, you know, commitments, another one. Um, you know, you'll see men, you know, we, we think it's men, but it's not just men, women as well. We have this very deep fear of commitment and losing our freedom. Um, and again, that's because so many of us grow up in unhealthy dynamics where we're seeing people together, our parents, primary caregivers together. And it's like, oh, really? That's, that's what it's like to be together? Fuck committing to a relationship. But then again, we're relational beings and we want to be in intimacy. You know, we want to share and be, and be seen. We want to be seen. We want to be witnessed. And we want to do the same for others, whether it's a non-monogamous or monogamous relationship, that's not completely relevant, but we just, even in friendships, we just want to be seen. So we, then we struggle, you know, we struggle. It's like, ah, oh, I want to be, I want to make commitment, but no, I'm too scared. But when we don't address the core wounds of that and start to heal it, it just keeps playing on repeat. So the assessment helps you identify what the what your some of your core fears are namely the first couple primary yep. fears yep. and then it will take you through a process if you're you know primary fear is a fear of commitment you'll be taken through a pretty you know pretty comprehensive process in how to begin to shift that and break those habits that's incredible i know for me uh, one of the, the the things that comes up still to this day is like man if i'm going to open up to um to my woman and tell her my deeper fears, be truly vulnerable to, to let her see kind of behind the, the veil, if you will. Mm. I'm scared. Like you, mm. it was one of the questions or a couple of the questions on your quiz. Like I'm scared that she's going to be like, uh, you're no longer attractive or that whole masculine feminine uh, dichotomy, the chemistry there is mm. going to be broken. Cause she's going to be like, Oh, I thought you were confident. I thought you were mm. so you know attractive. And yet now here you are showing your vulnerabilities and, I'm not so turned on anymore. You know, I have mm. that fear and I know other guys do too. How, how do you balance the between 
being open and honest and vulnerable because I feel like true vulnerability in relationship is where the depth is. The more vulnerable, the more you share, the, the greater that love can be. And sure. yet still keeping that spark while being open and sometimes maybe mm. not in our power, grounded in our, mm. in our truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So when we work on ourselves, right? when we work on our self-worth specifically, you can be as vulnerable as you like and there's not going to be an issue. Now, let me, let me elaborate on that, okay? When you have a healthy sense of self-worth, when you've healed the past wounds that you have, whatever they may, that you carry, whatever they may be, when you believe in who you are and you carry authentic, genuine confidence, not arrogance, that's a difference, big difference, you can be vulnerable, as vulnerable as you like. Now, the thing is, when you are confident, you're going to be vulnerable in an intelligent way. You're not going to be leaky. You're not going to project and vomit your vulnerability onto someone. And how they respond, you don't give a fuck. It doesn't, it's something you don't, that's a bit harsh. Your body is not interested in how they respond. It doesn't mean you're not interested in them and you're not compassionate and empathetic. Your self-worth isn't tied to how they respond. For example, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to say I have a fear. You're human. If you don't have a fucking fear, there's something wrong with you. There's literally something wrong with your nervous system. You have a, an extreme condition. Fear is healthy. Being emotionally, socially, physically scared, it's okay. It's how you deal with that, how we deal with that. So if I'm scared about something and I go to my, my partner and I say, look, I've got a fear around this and she mocks me, me in a healthy sense of self-worth won't tolerate that mm-hmm. and say, hey, I don't appreciate that. I've just shared something with you and your response is not really desirable. So I'm going to take myself elsewhere as opposed to, oh, I'll fix myself. Oh, no, no, I'm not scared. I'm strong. Like this false sense of, so all of a sudden my self-worth is tied into her explanation of what she thinks of me. No, I can't work like that. And that goes two ways, right? And so when you work on your self-worth, it's less about how the other person sees you and more about being truthful in where you're at and owning it and being confident in your you know, quote-unquote, weakness or vulnerability. It's not weakness, but in your vulnerability. And when you're confident in your vulnerability because you back who you are and you believe in yourself and you're not codependent but rather interdependent, so you're not relying on how someone else behaves to determine your sense of happiness or self-worth or your emotional state, you can be vulnerable and be free in your vulnerability. You'll have freedom in your vulnerability because you're not attached to how someone else responds to that. And that then, when you're vulnerable, you open up the space for a healthy person to feel safe and they can then be vulnerable. And now it's reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Man, I've done a lot of work with special forces soldiers, elite athletes, some of the be- you know, world champion fighters, gold medalists, and the best fighters in the world. And when they step in that ring and they look at me and I've, and I've cornered world champions as well, I've been very blessed to, to have done that. And they, they look at me and they go, I go, how are you feeling? They said, good. Like I'm on, I'm, I'm here. I'm present. I'm clear. I've got that fear moving through me. Like they're fucking ready to go. And the fi- now they're being vulnerable, but they're also ready to go. When you, when I, when I'm working with soldiers on mental fortitude, you know, men that have seen some pretty horrific things, you think they don't experience fear? You, you think they're not vulnerable? They're not worried in those moments? They either bypass that or they work through it or they allow it to surge through them. They have specific techniques. But there's some serious vulnerability there. When you look at Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and you look at the criteria for vulnerability, 
being able to deal with uncertainty is one of them. I'd say that's pretty heroic and pretty courageous, you know. Um, being able to be very honest and present in those moments, like that's, that's not easy things to do. And so, you know, being in a dangerous situation, vulnerability isn't weakness, but it's how we relate to our own sense of vulnerability, which comes from our self-worth. And what do we want to believe? Do we want to believe what the teacher told us when we were in, when we were eight years old and they said, you're never going to amount to anything? Or do we want to believe the path that we set out for ourselves and go around changing those unconscious belief systems? And that's a process, man. People want a quick fix, particularly in the US. Now, pop a pill. I've got a headache, pop a pill. I want to get my, my dick hard, pop a pill. You know, like it's, we, we, we've got to slow things down a little bit and really start to look at life from a place of what's possible for me and what do I want to create and importantly, how do I want to create it? And often the quick fix, short-term gratification is not the way to go. There are countless of studies that show that those that delay quick fix, short-term gratification live far more fruitful and meaningful lives. That's pretty powerful. I think intellectually, it, it, everything you just said makes a ton of sense. I think if, if I were me 10 years ago as mm. deeply insecure and codependent and enmeshed and everything mm. else that I was coming off of my divorce mm. was, was listening to you or watching you, I'd be like, man, I, I would give my left whatever to be you, to have that level of confidence. Like, oh yeah, that sounds great. I could go in and, and to not give a fuck how she responds or he responds to my vulnerability. Sounds great in theory, but I'm so scared. Mm. And, I, and like you said, it kind of comes back to like, because I'm so deeply hurt and so insecure, like what, what comes first? Like I have to be confident to share my vulnerabilities, but then I've got to, but my vulnerabilities are kind of you know, rooted in my insecurities. Yeah. Like how do I actually do that process? And I think to your point, it's like, it's been 10 years for me of just chipping yeah. away at it. That, that, that's the point, right? The point, and right? start with you, right? like start by getting honest with you. Because if you, if we can't, that's what I had to do, man. I had to get honest with me. I had to look yeah. at myself in the mirror every day and say, who have I been? Who am I being? Who I choose to be? I've been broken. Let me list all the ways. Let me look at myself and look at, you know, how I've been broken, I would stand naked in front of the mirror and look at all of me and say, what do I like? What don't I like? But, you know, men have body issues too, man. As an example, I would look at, I would look at my mind and say, how have I behaved? What behaviors do I resonate with? Which ones don't I? This is years of processing. But start with you because then it's going to be easier to share. And make sure you surround yourself with safe people, people that you trust, respect and revere. And if you don't have anyone in your life, guess what? It's your responsibility to get those people and create them in your life by creating the type of man you want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's is incredible. I think just wrapping things up here, it's the doing the work, quote unquote, you know, yeah. people often kind of throw around. <laughs> I think people want to know, like, what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And it's, if I'm hearing you correctly, or if I'm really speaking from my own experience, doing the work is it's, it's the mess. It's getting into the mess. It's anything. Perfect, right? brother. Yep. Right. It's, for me, that's what it is. It's, it's getting into your mess. It's, it's owning all the parts of us, not just, the, not just the happy go lucky parts, not just the convenient parts that look good to society. Yeah. It's owning all of who we are, man, all of it and getting messy. Like yeah. that's doing the work and, and not being triggered and reactive. And um, when someone brings their pain to us, you know, that's another term people throw around or hold space. Like, a man should hold space or you should hold space for me. Well, no one's going to hold space for anyone unless they've done their work and doing their work is not denying any parts of themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love it. One last question. Um, what, what does the next six months, one year, what, where are you going? What are you excited about in your life, in your own evolution, whether it be in your business or just, you know, in your own personal development, what are you excited to, to really get into? Because like you said, it never ends. The journey never ends. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. what are you excited about to really dig into within yourself to take your relationship or business, your health, whatever, to the next level? Oh, so many things, man. I'm really working on refining my health at the moment in terms of particularly dialing in my nutrition, pulling back from like an, an addiction to adrenaline that I've had for so many years, you know, um, and pulling back from that and, and balancing my life a little more. Um, and the addiction to the adrenaline for me has come from just, just pushing my body, just go, go, go. And if it's not hard and intense and, you know, to the verge of death or pain, like it's not, it's not worth doing, you know? So I'm pull, slowly pulling back from that and really tuning my body in a different way. Um, man, excited for the deep dive. That is me particularly around how I react to atrocities or to injustices. And instead of being so reactive and angry coming from a calmer place, but still being able to take action, meaningful, empowered action. So going to the deeper levels of my own, you know, the substructures of my personality and just really looking at that aggression and that anger that I sometimes have at a very intense level and really going deep because I know where it comes from, but it's the practice piece and the minutiae of my expression that is going to shift that at a deep level. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the growth of my business as well and the various expression that that's taking in terms of deepening my work, not only with men and women, I work a lot with women as well, but couples too. Um, and I've got a couple of new models that I'm creating in terms of just how to be a more effective human being. So I'm excited to release the, the teachings around that. And that's going to be part of my next book as well. So I'm excited for so many things and that and more, man. Yeah. Yeah. You've got so many good things going on. And this is a great example of, again, someone who's on purpose because I, I could ask you, like, how have you dealt with, you know, the pandemic? And it seems like you're like, well, I've been doing my shit. I've been writing books. I've been doing like nothing's, it's not that nothing has changed, but like compared to guys who are still in their pain and kind of not on purpose, they're lost. There's, this is the vast difference of where you could be living your life, regardless of what the storm yeah. that roars around. And I've been in the pain too, man, because the pandemic has fucking pissed me off yeah. on in many different ways. And I've had to deal with, I haven't ignored those emotions. I haven't, I've gone deep into that and I've gone deep into my own rabbit hole, not just the rabbit hole of what, you know, what's happening in the world, but what's happening within me and dealing with those big emotions as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just, it's, it's testament to who you are and what you're putting out into the world, which is having the courage to face your shit, you know, and however mm. long you put it off to finally say, you know what, I can no longer keep living my life this way. And I mm. feel like every man has to kind of make that decision and draw the line in the sand at some point for himself. Mm. So I, I think it's uh, pretty cool that the example that you're putting out there. So thank you for taking the time to be here with me. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings with my community. And I really appreciate you and what you're putting out there. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. How do people go about uh, being in touch with you or checking out your website? Do you have a website, I assume? And yeah, I've got a couple. Yeah. So the um, best one to go to is growwithsteph.com, S-T-E-F, growwithsteph.com. There's a heap of freebies there. You can get the assessment there. Um, you can see, check out some of my courses as well. And just social media, at Stephanos Safandos. Beautiful. Definitely uh, highly encourage you guys checking it out. Really, really valuable stuff. Um, but until next episode, 
We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, man. Thanks, bro. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.